welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Bless God. Now, we are looking at the book of Titus. So if you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible on it, why don't you turn to the book of Titus? That would be great. Let's put that there. And we're looking at Titus chapter 1. All right. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. This is Paul. And he's writing to his, his uh, young disciple Titus. And in Titus chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time and which at now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. Paul is a strong and godly leader. That's who he is. He knew what God wanted him to do. He said here, I am a servant of God. He knew who he was. He knew who his identity was. He was comfortable in being a servant of God. And he knew that he was an apostle. He knew what his calling was. And he knew what he was there to do. He was to, to, to further the faith, to encourage people to be in the faith of God, to encourage them to, to, be, uh, to promote faith, to stimulate faith and to teach them the truth to further the faith of God's elect and, to, and their knowledge of the truth. He wanted to teach them truth. He knew exactly what he was called to do. And it's so wonderful to have men like Paul who are strong, godly leaders that we can look to in the past. And I believe that God wants us to have strong, godly leaders that we can follow in our lives today. I really do. And this whole chapter is about strong, godly leadership. It's about us following, finding and following strong, godly men and women of God who we can learn from. And it is also about becoming strong and godly leaders so that we can carry on this wonderful tradition. So let me just encourage you, first of all, to find and follow men like Paul. We need good leaders around us. I hope, you, I hope you know who you look up to. I hope you know who you, who you admire. And I believe that there are You know, obviously, probably not just one person because no one person tends to, you know, be the complete package. But it's great to have, you know, I I spoke to someone the other day. I said, who who do you follow online? Who do you listen to? And they go, oh, no one. And I thought, yeah, that's that's probably not great. You know, most people have someone they just, they love to listen to online and someone that just really inspires them. Just every now and again, I need a bit of Bill Johnson's mystical wisdom or, or, or um, Joel Osteen. I love, I love Joel. If, I, if you feel flat, just listen to Joel. I mean, he's always, God loves you. You can do it. You're wonderful. You're fantastic. Okay, great. Okay, I feel I need a bit of Joel. He's, you, sort of, you just know who you need sometimes. And it's so easy these days to just get a, a little burst of a, of a good man like that. And we need to have people in our lives as well. Because much as I love Joel and Bill, 
they don't know me very well, <laughs> although I have met Bill. He prayed over me once. <laughs> uh, but, um, but he still is not really in a position to know me that well. So we need people in our lives. And believe me, this church is full of some wonderful godly men and women of God who we can learn from and follow. So we need to, we need to know these people. And Paul is, has, has not just, not just grown in his own faith, but he has got to know some young men and he's raising them up to be strong leaders. And one of them was Titus. And so we see there in verse 4, 1 verse 4, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Saviour. So this letter is just to one young man and it's so beautiful that Paul, despite being a very major leader in the Kingdom of Heaven and despite having a very big ministry, he, he was ministering in different countries, there were individuals that he loved and knew and that's so important and he would have spent time with Titus and I believe that no matter how big our leadership is, there's, we all, or, or how small, at the end of the day, one-on-one -on -one leadership is, is so important. And, and we see this because this whole letter was just written to one man. We see that Paul had a real relationship. He said, you're my true son. I love this family relationship that we have in church life. It's so beautiful and it's so real. It's very, very real. It's not just, you're not just saying it. There's something so close you feel with some people, I feel it with some of you, just this sense of incredible relationship. You know, sometimes you ever get that thing, I don't know if I should say this, but you ever get that thing at Christmas and you come to church and you're with the family, your family, and you're celebrating Jesus. And then you go to your family who, you know, I love, I've got a great family, lovely family, but you go there and it's like, it almost feels like, oh, what, why am I celebrating Christmas with you? I love you, but... It's like sometimes you feel so close to your spiritual family, especially if your real family, your physical family doesn't actually worship Jesus. It's kind of like, this is weird. <laughs> I feel like we're, I'm more spending more of a real Christmas with people who worship Jesus. So, I, you know, my, my physical family, I believe God gives us our physical family and they're very important. But I also believe that our spiritual family is as important and as real. He says, you're my true son. So it's great to... To, to learn and a son lives with his father. So it, this is where the relationship is really close, not just online, not just distant, but close. People we actually know, people we actually learn from. When we think of a leader, it's very simple. It's someone you follow. You watch them, you follow them, you learn from them, you learn from their example, you learn, you, you pick up the same spirit, the same pattern of life. And you, you know, it's, it's, it's a lovely thing. We see that with our, with our own children, don't we? Just learning from us and becoming like us and hopefully that's a good thing. <laughs> I, I, love, um, I love watching my kids find their father helpful, you know, as they're growing up. And I remember when they started driving and that was just before Google Maps came out. And if they ever had to drive in Sydney, they, they seemed to get lost in Sydney. And, I, and Chris would be, I can remember times of these desperate phone calls <laughs> I'm on a road, I don't know where I'm going. I, I think I'm going out west. I don't know. Like, and, and they'd ring and, and they'd go, what, what, where's the street sign? You see a suburb? Where are you? And they go, I don't know. I got on a And then they'd go, I think Liverpool. And like, Liverpool, what are you doing out there? You know, and I can remember dad would get on the map on the computer and he'd be looking up where they were and you're meant to be here. Okay, now you need, and he'd be telling them how to go. And it was just such a sweet image. Of course, once uh, the phone started to talk to us, that wasn't so necessary, but... 
But, you know, you need sometimes a father to, to show you the way. Like right through, whether it's, Dad, how do I do my homework? To, um, Dad, what, how in the world do you do a mortgage? Like what, you know, it's, it's so good to have these relationships where we learn from one another. And it's exactly the same in church. So beautiful and so wonderful to have all these real family relationships and kind of fun. Like I was thinking about like the Goodings, who I've known for years and years and years. When I first met the Goodings, it was Mr. Gooding. He was Mr. Gooding because I was at Abbotsley and he was Mr. Gooding at Knox. And he used to, you know, do tutoring for some of the Abbotsley girls that were behind and he would teach them. He didn't teach me, but I knew of him. And, uh, and he, I remember he read one of my essays at university and commented on it. But, you know, he was Mr. Gooding. And so, so the relationship, it's interesting because now they're in our church and, and they're a little bit older than us, but where they're pastors. And so I say to Jo sometimes, you're sort of my, she, um, you're my big little sister, you know. And it's lovely how it works. It's sort of almost mystical that you can have a relationship that's pastoral, it's, it's like a sister. She's technically older than me. And I appreciate that wisdom from Joe. sometimes. I find, you know, she, that Martin and Joe have got some wisdom for us, but then we're their pastors and it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to define, isn't it? But it's just beautiful. And we, and we have these relationships. So let me encourage you to have these relationships. So he says, all right, to Titus, this is what... So, so we begin with family, we begin with love. That's where Paul begins. To Titus, I love you. This, you know, we've got this relationship. We've already established that. And then we get on to the job. So it's good to love one another, but we've got work to do. So if we look in Titus 1.5, he says, The reason I left you in, in Crete, do you say Crete or Crete? Crete. In Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every ch- town as I directed you. So then he begins to describe exactly what an elder looks like. So we love one another, we encourage one another, we go to the, we go to the courtyard, we have to share coffee and how are you going and all that. But we also work. We actually do things. And the letters in the New Testament are very practical. God wants us to be involved. He wants us to not just come and go, they're nice people. He wants us to get involved. He wants us to get on the roster and do some work. And so here we see that Paul had asked Titus to put in order what was left unfinished. God loves order. And we need diligent, organised people to get the church organised. And I'm sure they needed that then. And uh, God doesn't like a mess. We're always organising things at the moment, whether it's, you know, this roster or that roster or how much to pay or, you know, compliances or safe church. And there's so many things to organise and God is into that. So praise God for great men of God who uh, know what it is to put things in order and to have an organised church. It's wonderful to have a spiritual church, but if your church is very spiritual and very unorganised, it's actually really annoying. (laughs) And uh, the Cretans, by their own admission, uh, were known as lazy and liars. Later on, we see that in 1.12. It says, you know, even one of their own said they're they're a bunch of lazy liars. So so they needed some help. When we went to Russia, the church was a bit like that. And it it was a new church because they'd had communist uh, rule and then... They started church, and because everyone was so desperate to know God after 70 years of being told he didn't exist, well, that didn't work, did it? So then they, <laughs> they all believed, and uh, they crowded the churches. There was like a 1,000 people in this church. It was very, very crowded, but there was no order, 
And that was one of the reasons that God sent us there as missionaries was to just put the church in order because we had come from organised Australia and an organised church. And just things like the musicians, as soon as we arrived, we went, who are these guys? And the pastor said, well, you know, they, we, we pay them. They're just mu- local musos and we just pay them. So they were on stage, just paid musos with zip anointing and even pretending to worship because they went, oh, what are you supposed to? Okay, we go like this. And I can remember it made me cr- cringe to, to see them. And then as soon as they'd finished the gig, the music, they went out the back, they went outside and smoked. They never stayed for the preaching because they weren't interested in church. And so we sort of said, you know, that's not really, you know, it's not really what we're going for here. So Chris talked to the, um, to the pastor about anointed worship. And he was like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, he was very good. He was really trusted us. In fact, shortly after we arrived, he went away. He just went away to America. Remember, babe? And it, he said, oh, great. You guys are good. You can run the church for a while. I'm, I've been asked to go to America. And he left. And everyone was like, the church was sort of like, well, who's in charge? And we hardly know. We'd only been there, what, a month? Then we didn't, we were like, oh, we're in charge of this whole church now. And we didn't even speak the language. And everyone was like, who are you? I can remember they come and say, well, we don't understand why you were running the church now. And it was Chris was like, neither do I. I'm sorry. Like, but anyway, we did. We just ran the church while he was away. So we organised things like that. We set up financial accountability. And, you know, we, we, that's, we put things in order and it was a great thing to do. And we taught the Word of God. And so it's very important to have this order. You know, we had, we had started a Bible college because they didn't know the Word. They didn't have the Word. And we... we uh, most of the church went through the Bible college, which was wonderful. And I just, I just thought of this one guy which I want to tell you about. It's a sweet story. We called him Slava Sasha because he always praised the Lord. Slava is praise. And uh, he just, if you talk to him, you say, how are you going? He goes, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So good, praise the Lord. And Slava Sasha came from Kyrgyzstan. And uh, I just, I just, I just, I often think of him because he came to our church and he came to the Bible college and then he went back as a pastor. We prayed for him to go back to Kyrgyzstan. And I'm like, I wonder how Sasha's going in Kyrgyzstan, which is like 90% uh, Islam. And he was such a beautiful guy, very gentle. And he was staying with someone. He, was, he rented a room with a, a lady and he asked us if we could do something about it because it was very difficult for him to study because the apartment, which is, you know, not a ground floor apartment, but up several stories, was full of chickens because the woman kept chickens in the apartment. And he found it very unpleasant. And he says, is there anything we can do? I can't, you know, Ruth, Ruth, they'd say, you know, I can't, it's so difficult. I can't, I can't bear it. The chickens everywhere, you know, how can I, how can I study? I went, oh, wow, that's, is that normal? And so then we went to see Pastor Sergey, who was back from America and say, Pastor, poor old Sasha, he's got chickens. So he goes, yeah, it's not so bad. My neighbour has a cow in his apartment. It's okay. You know, he'll be fine. And we were like, all right, okay, that's, you know, <laughs> cows, chickens, just whatever. So that's just random. But uh, so, you know, it's good to put things in order. And then it describes what an elder looks like. Verse 6. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So, who chooses leaders? 
God does. God put Paul in place. God asked Titus to appoint people. It's not a democracy. And it's not self, you don't get to choose yourself. You don't get to say, oh, I'm going to start, I'm going to start my own little group. I don't, need to, I don't need to go to this church. I'm going to start my own group. You don't get to do that. God decides who the leaders are going to be and they're appointed. And in this instance, Titus had that role to appoint leaders. And obviously the church was very young. And so they, they didn't have leaders that had been around for a long time. They had to choose people. And the main thing, what does this godly leader look like? It's mainly about character. Was main, most of those issues there are character issues. Yes, we want someone with charisma and personality. Good looks doesn't go astray because you've got to stare and look at us all this time. But um, <laughs> it's kind of a bit weird thing to say, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm getting at. But, but those things don't matter. What matters is character. I mean, it's, it, it's good to be a leader and to have the gifting, but all of those issues there were that they had... Uh, a wonderful character and if we look at some of those things there this man is to be or, or woman is to be blameless although it is mainly men and I don't have a problem with that I really don't uh, the Bible is is incredibly full of freedom and women were never ever as free as they were when once the gospel came along they weren't even allowed to go into the the Jewish synagogue along with the men and now all of a sudden they're included and they're part of it but there was there, there was and I think in some ways still is often more men are comfortable with leadership roles than women but God's lovely and free and we can talk that's an, another whole subject but but it's often men who are the key leader of a church and that's fine by me um, so a man of integrity not immoral or appropriate obviously uh, with one wife so that would speak to not being a bigamist, which was not uncommon in those days, and also just focused on one woman and not someone who commits adultery. Unfortunately, when you're in the ministry, you know, you, um, you have the highest standards and that's one area where you lose your job if you muck around. A lot of other jobs, you don't lose your job if you muck around, but in this job, rightly, you do because we're setting an example and God wants marriage to be pure and good. And so the highest standards. It speaks here that their children need to be um, faithful. There's a bit of debate about this. A man and woman must be able to manage their own home and children. So I knew of a young pastor who's 18-year-old started to backslide and they went to see Pastor Phil. They said, well, I'm going to have to resign because my son's not following the Lord. And uh, so there's a lot of debate about that. And, the, and they said, man, if you resign, there'd be an awful lot of pastors who resign, <laughs> not to mention connect group leaders. So um, the ability to manage well and to be able to control your children, especially when they're young, is a sign of someone who is able to lead a group of adults. But the outcome is in the hands of the children. So while it's important that we see that they're, they're able to manage their children and, and they're able to have discipline and put discipline in, at the end of the day, it's still that child's choice as they grow into adulthood. So we look for uh, good management, but that doesn't necessarily mean a perfect outcome. And it doesn't even for Jesus, because Jesus managed his disciples well, but he got 11 out of 12. So... Um, so we're looking for good management and good order and discipline in, with our children. But at the end of the day, they will choose for themselves. Uh, in 1.7, it says, 
again, he must be blameless and overseer. They changed the words there. It's, you know, the Bible, I, I love the fact that in the New Testament, it's a little vague if you try to set it all up exactly the way the New Testament says. People say, I want a New Testament church. It's like, well, I think God's deliberately not said you have A, B, C, and D. And even the name of the leader of the church is not clear because they use several different Greek words that we translate differently. So an elder is translated presbyteros. I mean, it's from the Greek presbyteros, which we recognise presbyterian from. But episkopos, which is also known as a bishop, is also translated overseer. So we've got these words bishop, overseer, presbyteros, elder. They're all interchangeable. And I think the reason that God did that is because the New Testament's very cleverly and spiritually and wonderfully put together in a way that suits every generation, every type of society, so that there are slightly different ways that we do church based on the fact that we're in the 21st century. And it's a little bit different from it was in the first century. And so God doesn't put down super super clear guidelines. He, he leaves it vague but spiritual and it works. We know there's a leader of each church, but how that looks, is it one part? We call them a pastor. Is there a pastor with a bishop over the top? Well, that's, that's not in the Bible. Is it a, you know, is a bishop, is the, the guy that runs this church? You have several elders. Well, how many elders? You know, it's all unclear. But we can understand that that's flexible and that it works. And the main thing, again, is that whoever that guy is and whatever we call him, and there's no stipulation of what they're meant to be called, they're godly. So blameless, again, we see not selfish, not someone who always wants their own way, not expecting everyone to pay homage to them, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a heavy drinker, I mean, that goes without saying. Not violent, not greedy for money, not doing it for the money or for the fame or for the, how many Instagram followers you get. We're doing it because we love to serve humbly and gently and wonderfully wherever God puts us. Hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, fair, just, holy. I love the way they just throw that in at the end. That's just like, just casually, oh, he's got to be holy, which is... Um, in verse 8 there, 1, eight, he needs to be upright, holy and disciplined. So the Bible is, this is a near perfect man. <laughs> He'll all leave the church and like, well, I don't know about Chris and Ruth. The Bible gives us lists, not just to say this is what someone ought to be, but also to what we aspire to. So it's it's... You know, there's lots of lists in the Bible of this is what a godly person looks like. And we, 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 we look at those lists sometimes and think, well, I, I feel like I fall short. But it's a recognition, it's an aspiration where we're working towards that. We're not completely holy yet, but we're working towards that. And, and, it, and sometimes having a list like that, it just keeps us humble too. And often what God looks like in character is that, is that meekness of I'm on my journey. I, I know I've got to get better. So it's a basic list of what someone looks like, but it's also an aspiration of what someone should be. And so that's, you know, that they're the people that God, that Paul told Titus, I want you to choose leaders like this. We had the exact same thing in Russia. We had, it was, it was amazing. We had, a, I remember Vanya Sukarov, he, he got saved uh, in church, but he was from the south down in Sochi. And uh, he went down on his holidays, went back home, and he got like 20 or 30 people saved. 
And then they were all just kind of meeting in his home. And then he came back and he goes, I don't know what to do. I've got all these people saved, but there's no church down there. What do we do? And, and we were like, oh. So Chris was like, well, well, I guess you're going to have to be the pastor. And again, just wisely looking at that list and praying for him, he was a new Christian. But there was no other, there was no one else. What do you do if you've got a new Christian and a bunch of new Christians? Someone's got to lead them. You can't just say, well, no one's mature enough. And you can't just send someone there. That's, that's what you do in Australia when you're rich and people can move around. But in places like that, you've you got to get a passport to move, move towns in Russia at the, in those days. So, so we had to pray for Vanya and we sent Vanya off, bless him. He did a great job. And uh, we, we, <laughs> we gave him some quick lessons on how to be a pastor and he was fantastic. He, just was, he was just one step ahead of them, you know, and just loved them to bits and uh, did, a, did a wonderful job. He's gone on to be with Jesus now, but um, his, his son and his family, we went back and met them many times. So it's very beautiful to see how, um, how God sets it all up. Even in, in, a, in a, a raw sort of frontier situation like that, you can find the right people to lead. So, um, <clears throat> so this, um, most importantly, I think in some ways, all of those things are important, but in verse 9, it says this, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught or to the word. The New King James Version is a little clearer. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So it says here that we need to hold on to the Word of God. We need to know the Word and hold on to it. And that's for all of us. We can't just be sort of theologically wondering what this might mean and speculations or having academic doubt about, well, I don't know if that verse is really relevant now or if that means anything. We believe that the Word of God is true and we believe that, that and that's what we teach and we, we use that Word because the Word of God is able to lead us to godliness. It said earlier on, truth leads to godliness. So it's very important as leaders that we know the Word of God. So... Find and honour good leaders like this. Learn from them. But let me also encourage you to be like this. This isn't just for us or just for the Connect Group leaders. It's not just Tim Ashby that's got to be anointed like that. <laughs> we all need to be like that. Who are you leading? Who, who, are you, who are you being like this for? Who are you going, right, I need to get onto that. I need to work on those things because I'm leading someone. People are looking to you. We need every single one of us to be a leader, whether it's a leader in, in your, to the people that you're working with, whether you're leading youth, whether you're leading the young children out there. It's so beautiful to be out there you know, loving and looking after our children and leading them. You know, um, one of the newest members of our church is this beautiful Danny over here. He's only been in the church, what, how long now? Three or four months? Something like that. So Danny is starting to love and reach out to his, his sister, and, and he's just blessing her. Now, you know, he's just met Jesus. And now he's reaching out and loving and being one of these godly leaders for his sister. And uh, he, shared, he, rang me, he shared this story with me. It's such a great story. I love it. He, um, his sister is very sick. She has emphysema. And she's been smoking for 50 years or so. Is that right? Whole life. And uh, so he's, he's going to visit her. He's bringing her food. And he's saying, you've got to stop smoking. This is, this is you know, you've just, obviously the doctors have said so too, but... She said, I can't. I just can't stop. There's no way I can stop. And he's trying to convince her, but she's like, Danny, I can't. There's no way I can stop smoking. So he goes home and he said he prayed. He said, God, what's her name? Kerry. He said, God, give Kerry the strength to stop smoking. 
That's what you prayed, isn't it? Yep. So then he said, went off, got ready for bed. Two hours later, his sister rings him and says, Danny, I'm stopping smoking. I'm going to stop. In fact, I've already thrown out all my cigarettes. I've stopped. And he was just like, what? She says, yeah, I've just decided. She just, it just, she just decided to stop. After 50 years, and obviously the doctors and everyone had said, you've got to stop. She couldn't stop. So Danny prays, and then, and then she decides to stop. And I said to him, I said, how's it going? She said, no, nope, she hasn't touched it since. I said, has she ever gone this long without smoking? He goes, no, never. And so it was just so lovely. I love that, that, you know, no matter who you are, no matter if you think you're, oh, I'm just, I'm just saved, I don't know about any of this, we can still be godly leaders and examples and praying and influencing the people around us. And Danny's influencing and loving his sister, telling her about Jesus, praying for her. Did you tell her that you prayed for her to stop? <laughs> I love it. It's such a great story. So let's, let's just do that. Let's just be amazing influences for all of us around us, all of those people around us. Now, just to finish off this uh, chapter here, it's a little bit jumping around. So it's a bit different preaching like this. because Instead of picking a subject and then making it all linked together, we follow the Bible. And the, the, these thinkers were a little different from us. They seem to, sometimes they seem to jump around a bit. You know that? When you read the Bible, you think, oh, now we're talking about this. So it's good for us as preachers because it, uh, it forces us to say things and preach about things we might not normally do in this kind of preaching. So in, uh, we just finish off the last bit. He talks about... The reason we need good leaders is because there are many who are rebellious people. They are full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group, which was a Jewish group there. They must be silenced. They are disrupting whole households. Verse, um, verse 13 says, Rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in the faith. In the faith. And then in 16, he says, they claim to know God by their actions, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, abominable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. So strong, the Bible, isn't it? Imagine if I wrote a letter to some of you and said, these people are disgusting. Rebuke them sharply. They, they can't do anything good at all. These are people that are in the church. These aren't, just, these aren't sort of people out there in prisons. These are the people that are supposedly in the church. But he said, you need to silence them. You need to stop them from speaking in the church. You need to deal with them. It's very strong. So, you know, if we're going to be any kind of a leader, we're going to have to be very courageous to deal with issues where people are bringing either false doctrine or false beliefs into the church. And we need to stand up to it. He says, you've, they, they'll take a whole family out. That, those lies... That deception, they'll get a whole family and they'll rip them out of the church. That lie will. And I've seen it. We've all seen it happen. And it's horrible. And so it's up to us to be prepared to speak the truth. And what is the truth? It's not what the 21st century says is the truth. It's not what the society says. It's not what everyone says is this, that, intolerant or nice or anything else. It's what the Word of God says. And he says exactly that, that they are full of meaningless talk. They have a way of twisting the Word of God around. It says they deceive and they must be silenced because they disrupt households. They ruin, they take whole families with them. And so let me encourage you to be brave. And in, in, in if your friends are getting pulled away or deceived in any way like this or talking about religion in a glib, ineffective, empty way or thinking that they can change the Word of God, their mouths must be stopped. So we don't 
in this church and in our movement, we do deal with problem people. And it's tough, you know. It takes a lot of courage to say, we're not, I'm sorry, but that's just not right. We're not putting up with that. And we do do that. And it's very unpleasant, I can assure you. And I know some of you have done it as well. You've spoken out to, to friends and, and people who are making the wrong choices and said, this is, please, this is wrong. But we need to do that because we don't want, we don't want to see them falling away and into a bad place. So this kind of strong talk does not come from a place of, you know, I'm right and you're wrong and I want to prove it. It comes from love. As he said right at the beginning, it's, it's because I love people. Timothy, Titus, he wrote one to Timothy as well, I love you. And I want these families to go well. I want these homes to be blessed. I want people to have a beautiful life. So we've got to deal with things that are wrong. It's exactly the same with our own children. We do rebuke our children sharply. We do discipline them strongly out of, out of love because we don't want to see them making wrong choices and going in the wrong way. So we have that courage to, to stand up for what's true, to stand up for the word. And, uh, and, you know, here, look in this one, verse 15 and 16 is an amazing scripture. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. So that's a fascinating scripture. And it's basically saying when people are in a bad place, everything seems wrong somehow. <laughs> Even things that you think, well, that's kind of good, but why does it feel bad? Or you hear people saying all this spiritual stuff and you think, you're saying spiritual stuff, but it doesn't feel good. Because there's a corruption around what they're saying. But for those of us who are in Jesus and and who are hungry and meek to follow him and to follow his word, he makes things right and pure. Not talking about things that are morally wrong, of course, but talking about things, non-moral issues. We, We know how to watch television. We know how to do church right. We know how to eat and how to drink in a way that's bringing glory to God. So praise God. We live in... Well, he said down the bottom, we live in, in evil times, but we are in church, we have great leaders, and we are becoming great leaders. All of you, use that list to inspire yourself to be, I want to be someone that people look up to, I want to be someone that, has, that holds out the Word of God, that speaks and teaches the Word of God with truth and with courage, so that we can all go and in our, have that hope of eternal life remaining in us and coming to fruition. Praise God. All right, come on, let's pray. Father, I just pray right now for Danny's sister, Kerry. And I pray with everyone else in this church, Lord, that she would find Jesus as her Lord and Saviour. That you give Danny the right words, that he'll be able to minister to her and love her and help her to be born again and to find you and to know that you are God and that you love her. And Father, I pray for all the carries around our life, Father God, for our sisters, for our neighbours, for our friends, for our co-workers, that we would be in a position to lead them to You. All those other ones around, Lord God, help us to be great leaders. Help us to be great examples in our character and in our love so that we can lead others to You, Lord God. And we can be great, godly, strong, beautiful leaders in this time. Just pray over all those people around us, Father God. Amen.
hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.